0: Well, it's uh, good to be with you. It's, uh, it's the first time in my life I've been at Grace Community Church three times in three months, but uh, this is actually the room, this is the pulpit I used to teach the d Min class, so it was great to be back so quickly. Turn with me, please, to Joshua 24. I want to deliver you a message this morning on a very practical area. How to conduct family worship. It's a burden of mine. I've been preaching on it around the world. And I believe it's a lost art in uh, many families, many Christians. In fact, wherever I go, there are people that come up to me afterward and say, I didn't even know I was supposed to be doing this. It's, in the Puritan day, this was just common. In fact, you could be put under discipline if you didn't do it in your family. <laughs> because it was considered to be the main duty of a father in the home, the the undergirding plank of all child-rearing. So I've got a very important topic this morning uh, for you, and I want to uh, look at that from out of several texts, but especially Joshua 24. Now, Joshua 24, the uh, great leader in Israel, is 100 years old, And he's giving a farewell message. This is his farewell message to the nation of Israel. I'm going to pick up on verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Serve can also be translated worship in Hebrew, at least this particular Hebrew word. And if it seem evil unto you to serve or to worship the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve or worship, whether the gods which your fathers served or worshipped that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But, and this is the key point, as for me and my house, we will serve, we will Worship the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us, all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, will we also serve or worship the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve or worship the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, Then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you, after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, No, but we will serve or worship the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen you, the Lord, to serve or worship him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said Joshua, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God will we serve or worship, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set them a statute and ordinance in Shechem. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we address this very important subject of family worship this morning, we pray that not only will we be convinced of our need to do it and to do it faithfully, but we ask thy benediction upon our, our meager efforts. And we do pray that thou wouldst fill us with zeal for this important means of grace, this important spiritual discipline, and that as a result of this sermon this morning, that there would be many families in this group that would have their family worship transformed for the better. Bless our children to true conversion through family worship, but also bless them to grow up as strong, stalwart sons and daughters of the church of Jesus Christ. Let family worship be a great asset to that end. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my dad used to pray regularly in our family with tears, Lord, grant that we would be an undivided family reserved for the heavenly mansions above. I've heard that prayer hundreds of times. And I'm sure that every God-fearing father, every God-fearing mother in this audience this morning, that that is burning in your soul as well, even if you put it in different words. You want to be able to stand on the great day with your children around you on the right side of Jesus Christ. And you want to be able to praise Christ forever as a united family in heaven above. But also, you want that for the whole church. You want it for your city, for your nation. Every church desires growth, not only quantitatively, but also qualitatively. And it's astonishing to me, astonishing to me, I say, when I walk into a Christian bookstore and go to the church growth section. And there's a lot of books written today, if you don't know that, on how to grow your church. I flip them open. I look at the table of contents. There's not a single chapter on family worship. And yet in church history, my friends, In church history, time and time and time again, it's been proven that those families that have daily family worship by a conscientious, God-fearing father and joined in by a God-fearing mother, it is the children that tend to benefit from this, and the children become the backbone of the generation of the next generation's church. I've had the privilege of serving three churches in my life. They've all been somewhere between seven or 800 people for some odd reason, all the same size. But when I looked out over every single one of those churches, and I say, where are the real backbone families in this church? They're always the families, almost without fail, where the father and the mother are engaged with their children in daily, conscientious, intentional, biblical personal, warm, engaging family worship. When my parents had their 50th anniversary, all five of us children decided we'd thank them for one thing. I had very God-fearing parents. And we'd all thank, thank my father for one thing, my mother for one thing, and we wouldn't talk ahead of time what we would thank them for. Well, all five of us thanked my mother for her prayer life. She was a secret prayer warrior. And we all knew that. And all five of us thank my dad for the, the daily family worship and especially the prolonged Sunday evening family worship in which he'd always read to us from Pilgrim's Progress in addition to reading the scriptures and singing. And he'd read for about a half an hour. We'd interrupt him with questions and he'd set the book down. He'd often be teaching us with tears. We'd ask, who's Mr. Talkative? What, what's that man doing in the iron cage? And he'd explain how the Holy Spirit worked in the soul. Oh, those family worships were formative for every one of our souls. But my brother, my older brother, said on that occasion, Dad, I want to thank you that I never had to doubt the existence of God. Because my oldest memory in life is when I was three years old, I was on your lap in family worship. And I saw the tears streaming down your face as you were talking to us about the need to be born again. And all I remember is God is real. God is real. Thank you, Dad. Family worship is just a stunning, stunning spiritual discipline because it builds and builds and builds And when it's consistent throughout the life of a child, you see, he gets trained, she gets trained in every truth under the sun because you go through the whole Bible and you start over. And the Bible speaks about everything your children need. And so this is the way to communicate, to train your children in every area of life, just do family worship. Now maybe some of you remember the um, space shuttle Columbia tragically disintegrating during its high-speed re-entry into the atmosphere in 2003, a tragedy for America. All seven astronauts on board were killed instantly. The commander was Colonel Rick Husband, a God-fearing evangelical Christian. You didn't read anywhere or here, anywhere this story, but it's a true story. Before he launched into space, he prepared 36 videos because he was going to be gone 18 days. He gave 18 to his older son and 18 to his younger daughter, and he said, I don't want you to miss a single day of family worship. I wonder, I wonder how important those family worship videos are to those children today. And Rick Husband said this, if I end up at the end of my life having been an astronaut, but having sacrificed my family along the way or living my life in a way that did not glorify God, then I would look back on it with great regret. Having become an astronaut would not have meant that much. I came to realize that what meant the most for me, to me, was to try to live my life as God wanted me to do, to be a good husband to Evelyn and a good father to my children. Family worship is critical. Matthew Henry, one of the most famous Puritans, a famous commentarian, he said, as goes family worship, usually so goes the family. And as goes the family, so goes the church. And as goes the church, so goes the nation. As goes the nation, so goes the world. Family worship is at the core of godliness in this world. Now, it's not the only factor, of course. I hasten to add that if you do wonderful family worship with your children, but you act like a beast toward them and you lose your temper all the time, you're going to to negate everything you built up in family worship. Family worship is the foundation. On that foundation, you build. You build your family with all kinds of other advice and uh, means to rear them in the fear and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Family worship is also deeply rooted in our theology. Our God is a triune God, a God of familial relationships, as it were, only familial relationships of perfect equality as Father. Son and Holy Spirit. But also in relationship to us, our fatherly God pours out his fatherly love into the world because he created us in his image and loves us through his Son. God deals with the human race also through covenant. He is a covenant keeping God within himself, the eternal counsel, peace, covenant of redemption. Father covenants with the Son, and so he covenants also through the Son, through the triune God, with his people here on earth. And so he's a covenant-keeping God, which translates into a family-keeping God because he works from generation to generation, starting vividly with the family of Abraham and leading families into his promises, into his gospel. And that's why the word family is used in the Bible hundreds of times because God, yes, converts individuals, but he also works along family lines. That's why also in the New Testament sometimes you see entire households being baptized. God is a family-keeping, covenant-loving, triune family God. As Douglas Kelly says, family religion, which depends not a little On the household head, daily leading the family before God in worship is one of the most powerful structures that the covenant-keeping God has given for the expansion of redemption through the generations so that countless multitudes may be brought into communion with and worship of the living God in the face of Jesus Christ. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of children have been converted in family worship. Why in the world are we abandoning this very important spiritual discipline? Are we only concerned about bringing the outsiders in? (laughs) Yes, we're concerned about that. But we also have to be concerned about keeping the insiders in. (laughs) And it's family worship that bonds together with Christian education and bonds together with the church and so as we rear our children, the goal is a three-pronged approach. Church, school, family, worship. And so what I want to do in this talk is I want to just look at this phrase, as for me and my family, Joshua 24, 15, we will worship the Lord. And I want to press that upon your consciences. In the first point, as we see our duty, to family worship. But then also I want to assist you in my second point as we look at the implementation of family worship. That'll be my longest point. And then I'll conclude with uh, two more quick thoughts, objections to family worship and motivations for family worship. So we're going to look at duty, implementation, objections, and motivation. Now it's amazing to me that Joshua is 100 years old And he speaks with conviction. As for me and my family, we will. In other words, we will, after I depart from the scene, I'm going to die now, we will continue worshiping the Lord. The implication is daily, what we call today family worship. How can Joshua be so confident of that? Well, let me say this to you. When our first child was going to get married, I, uh, our son, I, I, I would meet with him once a month and just have a private time with him, always ask him how he's doing and so on and give him advice and we'd talk and it was a very special, special time. So a couple of weeks before he was married, I, I, I met with him and I said, son, this is the last time we're meeting this way unless, unless you want to keep meeting, but I'm not going to offer you advice after you're married because you're the head of a new household unless you ask me. So I had quite a list of things I was going to say. I mean, last, last shot, right? <laughs> and one of them was, be sure he'll do family worship. When I got to that point on the list, something inside of me said, this is ridiculous to even ask him that. Of course he's going to do family worship. I mean, if I had skipped a day in family worship, after supper we always did it, if, if I had skipped a day, my kids would have said, dad, what's wrong with you? Are you sick? How could you forget family worship? It's like not brushing your teeth. It's like not having a meal. It's, you just automatically do family worship. The question is not, do you do it? The question is, oh Lord, help me to do it effectively and put thy stamp of benediction upon it. So Joshua says, I know, I know that my family is going to keep doing Family worship. I know that, because it's for me and my family we have served the Lord, so it's for me and my family we will serve the Lord, and they will keep on serving even after my departure. And then you read Joshua twenty four, thirty one. Uh turn with me there just a moment. Joshua twenty four, thirty one. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, that's the next generation which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. You realize what an amazing verse that is? Joshua, as a leader, of course, had more impact than a leader does today on the whole nation. By his pattern, he set a pattern for the whole nation. And and the Bible says that the entire next generation of the nation worshipped the Lord. That doesn't mean head for head every single person. But you see, Joshua's family went on worshiping the Lord. That family impacted other families, and that's the way it works. If you do family worship every day, and you you, believe in, you have the gift of hospitality, and you believe in having people over, then those people join you in family worship, and they get impacted. And a lot of people will start family worship once they see how it's done. We, we've, experienced that. we've experienced that many times. Also, invite neighbors over now I never ask them, of course, after supper, if they want to join us at family worship. I just say, well, hope you enjoyed the meal. And I said, now we always do family worship, so you can sit here and, and you join us. I, I don't ask. I, you know, they're not going to say no after you just fed them. <laughs> and so they join you, and they get to feel how it goes, and inevitably, even people without much religion, they look at you afterward, and they say, wow, well, never see anything like this. This it impresses them in some way or another. Maybe just at a human level, but also at a divine level. It's a wonderful tool, (laughs) wonderful tool for evangelism. Now, what are we actually called to do? Well, the Bible says four things. I hope I don't have to prove number one to you. I hope everyone here, I, I doubt if there's any family that doesn't do this. Daily reading of the Word of God together. That's obvious. Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, uh, you know, with his mother and his grandmother, he was brought up in the Scriptures daily and uh, continuing those things. I can't imagine a Christian family not reading the Bible every day. But you see, that's not enough because there's no personal interaction between the parents and, and the children. So number two is daily instruction in the Word of God. That's the main thing that most families don't do today, where the father actually has Q&A with the children, instructing. And, And it's all over the Bible. Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. These words, Moses says, "...which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in the house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up." All those things are, it's a Hebrew way of talking, every day. These are all daily activities. Every day you shall teach your children diligently with passion. Thirdly, we're to have daily prayer to the throne of God. Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5, every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. We're told in Corinthians that we're to even eat and drink to the glory of God, which is, of course, then combined with prayer. We're told in Jeremiah that the fury of God will be poured out on the family that does not pray together. That's an, I mean, the anger of God is bad enough. The fury of God will be poured out on the family that doesn't pray together. Thomas Brooks said, a family without prayer is like a house without a roof, exposed to all the storms of heaven. And then fourth, daily singing of the praise of God. Daily reading of the Word of God, daily instruction in the Word of God, daily prayer to the throne of God, daily singing of the praise of God. Where do we find that in the Bible? Psalm 118, verse 15. Check it out. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is heard in the tents of the righteous. This isn't the synagogue. This isn't the tabernacle. This is the tents of the righteous. This is their personal homes. You could walk through Israel even while they're in the wilderness, and you could hear singing coming from the homes, from their daily family worship. Philip Henry, the Puritan father of the famous Matthew Henry, was, Philip was also a Puritan pastor. He said, "This text provides a biblical basis for the daily singing of psalms in our families. Joyful singing comes from the individual tents of the righteous." So these are the four things. Our forefathers did these regularly. Reformers, Puritans, Scottish Covenanters, Dutch further Reformation divines. This was just a, a normal way of living. Now, deep in our conscience, even if you're not doing that, it resonates, doesn't it? You know the Lord Jesus is worthy of this. You know that God's word commands it now. And your conscience affirms it. See, you owe leadership to your family that conveys allegiance to God. God has placed you, dad, you especially, in the position of authority to guide your family, your children, in the way of the Lord. Yes, you're good friends with your children. Yes, you're good advisors to your children. And as their teacher and ruler in the home, your example, your leadership is crucial. But you are more than all that. You are clothed with holy authority. You owe to your children prophetical teaching, priestly intercession, and royal guidance. You are an office bearer in your own home. And God ought to be able to say of us, if we're Christians, what he said of Abraham. Genesis eighteen nineteen. For I know him, said God, that he will command, not ask, not invite, command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abram that which he has spoken of him. All right. So that's point one, the duty, the duty of worship, the fourfold duty of family worship. How do you implement it now? What, What do you do? Well, first may I suggest that you have a place in your house away from the kitchen table where you do family worship. It's organized. Everyone knows where they're going to sit each day. You, each one has a Bible there, a Psalter or a hymn book, uh, maybe a daily devotional that you're working through or some other book that you're you're, you're reading if you do a little in addition to the Bible. Whatever. It's, it's organized. So you're prepared. And you... Aim for brevity in family worship. The point isn't to go on and on. Most of the Puritans, 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes maybe as the children got older. And, but every day, you see, every day, just instruction from the Word of God. So don't provoke your children with long family worships. And If you're not doing family worship, start out with two minutes. Start out very simple and build as the Lord enables you. And don't indulge in excuses to avoid family worship. Don't say, oh, I just got angry at one of the kids. I I don't feel like it. Well, you need family worship more than ever because you need to confess your sin in your prayer and family worship and ask your children to forgive you. Or don't say, I've worked so hard all day. I am so exhausted. I just don't have the strength to do it. Just cry out to God. Give me strength for 10 minutes. He'll help you. And, and, and don't forget, your Savior didn't respond that way, did he? When he was walking to the cross, he didn't say, I'm so tired, I can't go on. He pressed on. He gave his life for you. You can give 10 minutes a day to him for your family. And lead, lead family worship with this fatherly combination of a firm, fatherly hand and a soft, penitent heart. <laughs> Bring these things together. Speak with speak with hopeful solemnity. Talk naturally yet reverently during this time. It's like, treat it like a little mini, mini church service in a way, and yet open, sort of, sort of like this fellowship group. It's a little more relaxed than the church service out there because it's a little smaller, a little more intimate. Family's even more that way. Even, <laughs> even more intimate. But, but treat it like it's worship. Like there's worship involved. If the phone rings, you don't answer the phone. This is your your special sacred time with God. There's an answering machine. Don't let man interrupt this sacred, sacred time you have with your family every day. All right, let's get more specific now. Let's look at each one of these duties. I'll give you just a couple hints on each of them. Number one, for the reading of Scripture, have a plan the children are very young, it's probably best to do more stories. It's not till they're about seven or eight, do they really start thinking analytically uh, very much, at least most children. And so do the book of Genesis, or Ruth, or do parables or miracles of Jesus, uh, things like that. But as they get older, to be seven, eight, nine, I think most we, we, our kids were like 10, 8, and 6 when we switched over to just doing the whole Bible. One, one night we do Old Testament, next night we do New Testament, just move through the whole Scriptures. J.C. Ryle said a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. So that's what you want to get to. <laughs> do account for special occasions. Maybe it's a Sunday morning and you have the Lord's Supper that morning. Well, you might want to read Matthew 26 or Isaiah 53, or when you're going on a family vacation. The way my parents did it was when the car was entirely packed and we're ready to take off, my dad would say, okay, let's go inside now. And we knew what he meant. We'd go inside. we all get down on our knees, and he'd pray earnestly. And then he would always read Psalm 91 or about the angel's Giving charge over you, keeping you safe. Or Psalm 121, about you being spared, going in and coming out. Uh, that was a family tradition. We knew that my dad would always read Psalm 91 or 121. That's very meaningful to me today. So what do I do? I do the same thing. <laughs> you take it over from your parents. These are good traditions. But, so just, just account for special occasions. And then involve the entire family in reading. Now, all the Reformers and Puritans didn't do that. I think it's important. So we had three children, so say we're going to read 20 verses that night, I'd say, okay, let's all read four verses. Mary, you start, and then the children, you continue, and I'll I'll read the last four. And that involves them. They know they're going to get questions on these verses, so they don't tune out because they know we're going to talk about them. Now what about the biblical instruction part? Well, the 1647 Church of Scotland Directory provides good counsel here. Basically what it says is if there's a word of reproof, you apply that to your children. If there's a word of comfort, you apply it to your children. If it's a Christ-centered word, you apply that to your children. It says, in conclusion, in all of these things, the master of the family, that's you, dad, is to have the chief hand and any member of the family may propose a question or doubt for resolution. In other words, you keep an open dialogue. You keep an open dialogue. Now, this is, this is the hardest part of family worship. And this is where most dads give up. Ideally, the Puritans used to say, the father should spend a half an hour in the morning preparing family worship for the evening. But That's a tall order. It's very difficult for, for people to actually undertake that. So I got together with some guys, and we did a family worship Bible guide. took us five years, four of us primarily. And we, we, we wrote out the two or three major takeaways from each chapter, which you can use either as an individual or you can use it in family worship. And the family worship Bible guide is now being used by tens of thousands of people around the world. And I've never done anything in my entire life, I'll be honest, I got so much feedback on of people saying our family worship is entirely transformed. So my wife and I use it faithfully even now when all the children are gone. After each chapter, we read those two or three takeaways. Each one ends with a question, or almost all of them end with a question. And then you discuss that question. Your wife jumps in. She gives an answer first maybe, or or maybe you ask a son particularly, maybe a teenage son, say, what do you think the answer is? And you just talk about it. It's really quite simple. So we've taken that extra work out of you. If, you. if you want to do that work, praise be to God. Do it on your own. That's better yet. But Family Worship Bible Guide is your door opener to get you going on family worship, to actually speak with your children each day. And I would suggest it's important that you, Dad, read those parts to your children, and you then lead that discussion on the question that ensues. And it always tries to take the major events, the major lessons of that chapter and apply them to your family. Now, it's also good when you can add to that family worship section your own experiences, your own applications. Maybe there's something in that chapter that was special to you in your life. Tell your children. Maybe you know someone in the congregation uh, for example, when we read Psalm 31, it takes us about two and a half, three years to go through the whole Bible, because we go through slowly. But two and a half years later we come back, and we're in Psalm 31 again. I'll tell them sometimes the same story about how a woman in our church was converted suddenly, powerfully, overwhelmingly, a woman they know. From Psalm 31:15, "My times are in thy hands." Or I tell them stories from the Reformation or from the Puritan age. I want them to know that God, the same God who worked in ages past is working today. That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He's willing to be their God. And these stories, these illustrations, these experiences that show the reality of God's intervention in the affairs of men, to me, that's an important part of family worship, just like it was for Joshua telling the history of Israel. And then also be affectionate. Be affectionate in manner. Hold family worship the way the wise man in Proverbs talked to his children. I I just love the book of Proverbs, don't you? My son. My son, come near to me. I'll I'll give you understanding. And with understanding, I'm going to teach you wisdom. See, he's he's so loving. So in family worship, When your kids are under, under six or seven, you know you put one on one knee, you put the other one on the other knee, you put your arms around them, and and they're looking up at you, and you talk to them face to face, you know, ask them questions. The older ones are sitting right around you, very close, not ten feet away, across the room. You keep them close. It's affectionate. It's affectionate. And then when you go to pray, you see you pray like, like another prayer. My dad always said was. Oh, Lord, and often he was weeping as he said that too. Oh, Lord, we cannot miss any of these children in heaven one day. Give them a new heart while they're very young. Help them to love the Lord Jesus, to hate sin, to pursue righteousness, to walk the king's highway of holiness. You plead with God for your children in your children's presence. Soul love is the soul of all love, said J.C. Ryle. You know, my mom was a very God-fearing lady, prayer warrior. She couldn't talk as easily as my dad about spiritual things. But we knew she loved us in every way. She loved, the, she loved to meet the needs of our, our physical needs, but she also loved our soul. My dad, I didn't know if he really cared about my physical needs at all. He was so <laughs> consumed with my soul that... Uh, You know, he could care less how I felt or if I had a cold or, you know, whatever. (laughs) But I knew he loved my soul. Oh, I knew he loved my soul. I saw the tears run down his face. I saw the earnest warnings. My dad wasn't one who got more excited about who won a ball game than about Jesus Christ. He was filled with Christ. He wanted Christ formed within us. That's what we have to convey to our children. And not just in family worship. But let family worship spill over into daily conversations as well. And during this time of instruction, require attention. Require attention from your children. Don't let them just sit there in a relaxed fashion. No, no. Sit up. Sit up, son. We're worshiping God right now. Let there be reverence. All right. For praying. For praying, be short. And by short I don't mean one minute, but I mean probably no more than five minutes. And pour out your heart in prayer with your children and teach them to pray. Teach them various ways. We we used we 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 capitalize on the Acts formula, which I'm sure you know. First you adore God, your A, your adoration, then you confess your sins, C, then T for Thanksgivings and S for supplications. And uh, I would take, I would take, I would have my children on on my lap. And when they were three years old, I would always do the opening prayer, closing prayer. They would all take turns. As soon as they're three, put them on my lap. I'd whisper the words into their ear. They'd repeat them, whisper some more. The whole prayer was really mine, but they were saying the words out loud. When they became four, I'd say, now you start and you just kind of poke daddy in the stomach when you're, run stuck. And they'd do that. And then I'd help them again. But they'd have three, five, ten sentences when they're four years old on their own. Then by the time they're seven I'd say, okay, you take the whole prayer now. And so only the Holy Spirit can teach them to truly pray, of course. But we're responsible to teach our children how to pray so that they can pray in front of their friends and not be embarrassed. If we had people over and when our kids were seven or eight years old and they had their friends over with them, they'd take their turn just like normal. It was normal to pray for, the, for them to pray in front of their <laughs> seven-year-old peers because they'd always been doing it. So you teach your children how to, how to pray. And remember, be varied. Be varied in this prayer. Um, give thanks for God's blessings. Uh, fa- Father, I say to you, when you come home at night, if you've been gone all day, ask your, ask your wife just before family worship. You know, is there you know, any of the kids have a big test tomorrow? Anybody sick? And you bring that into your prayer. The small things of life, as well as the big things. And number four, uh, for singing. <laughs> sing doctrinally pure songs. doesn't make sense to say we believe in the doctrines of grace, and then you sing Arminian songs. You sing the Psalms. Don't forget the Psalms, right? The Psalms are so God-centered. Teach them the classic hymns, yes, but teach them the Psalms, Psalm singing as well. Calvin said that the Psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the soul. And teach your children to sing heartily and with feeling. Now, when you go to bed at night, and I hope you do this. As you get down beside your bed with your wife, you get down on your knees and you pray back your way through the day, and you ask for forgiveness of sins, and you ask God to bless the efforts of child-rearing that day, don't forget to say, Lord, please bless our feeble efforts at family worship today. God will hear those cries. And it's good, by the way, that you take turns praying at night. Women have a feminine way of praying that a man needs to hear. Don't think you have to do all the praying, Father. You lead or as a husband. You lead your family, but encourage your whole family to pray and make sure you have those alone prayer times with your wife. You need prayer times, just the two of you as well, when you're in the midst of raising a busy family. All right, quickly in conclusion, objections. A family doesn't have time for this. What? Said Samuel Davies, the, the, the southern counterpart to Jonathan Edwards, who was used for thousands of conversions. If you were formed for this world only, there would be some force in this objection. But how strange does such an objection sound coming from people who are heirs of eternity? What is your time given to you for? Have you no time for what is the most important task of your life? To rear your family in the truths of God. There's no regular time, objection number two, when all of us can be together. Well, that's the the most real objection I know of. And that's particularly true when your kids are in college and stuff. It's hard to get them all together. Do the best you can. What I wish I had done, which I didn't, I I regret it now, when that one son or that one daughter who couldn't join us on a particular day, when they did come home, I wish I just carved out the time and just had a little five-minute family worship with that child individually. I, I regret that but do the best you can. And our family is too diverse for everyone to profit. Not really. No. Your family, your family can all sing. Little kids can sing. It's good for little kids also to hear prayers even when they can't understand them all. They, They still get impressions. And it's good for the older children to hear you dialogue with the younger children because before you know it, you blink a few times, your older children will be married and they'll have little ones and they'll have learned from you how to do family worship to their little children. And you tell them that. You say, don't get bored when I talk to your little brothers and sisters, but listen to me because you're going to be here very, very soon. Our family's too small. Absolutely not. We're two or three are gathered in my name. I'll be in the midst of it. Our kids are all gone. My wife and I do family worship just like normal every every single day. And I've traveled, and we pray together every day. I've traveled all over the world for, for many, many years without her. Now she comes with me all the time except, except this trip. First time in five years I'm without her because we just had a, a grandson born in Alberta last week, so she's helping my daughter. And I miss her like crazy. But the point is this. You You're together, and wherever you are in the world, you call up your wife, don't you? And you, You pray together. You can't miss this time of prayer every day. It becomes a way of life because of family worship. Motivations, last point. The eternal welfare, the eternal welfare of your loved ones, that should motivate you. So many people have been converted in family worship. Why wouldn't you do it? Number two, the satisfaction of a good conscience. Matthew Henry got all his children around him on his deathbed. He said, forgive me for all my shortcomings. You know them all. But one thing, one thing, I dare to say to you, because of family worship, don't you dare meet me on the wrong side of Christ on the day of judgment. Because in family worship, every day I have lifted up the name of Jesus Christ. I've invited you, I've allured you, I've called you to come. I've commanded you to come to Christ. Don't meet me on the wrong side of Christ. He had the freedom to say that boldly because he had a, a clean conscience. I was in Latvia once when I got, I got mugged and uh, people mugging me said, shouted that they were from the mafia. They were speaking in Russian and I just thought I was a dead man. They tied me up. They laid me on the ground or, or threw me on the ground hit me in the face and tied up my wrists and my, my ankles and gagged me and, and uh, said, you know, they were running a knife up and down my back and slapping my face with a knife. They never actually hurt me, but I thought it was a dead man. I didn't even pray for myself. I just commended everything to the Lord. <laughs> and as, as I was praying for my wife and my kids, and I, I felt a real peace of conscience at the moment. I felt like my, my life's work was done. But then I thought, I this thought, oh, I just wish I could see my, my kids grow up. And what, what, what would I say? What would I say? if I could just have one more time to talk with them? What would I say? I want to be honest here. If it weren't for family worship, there would have been a thousand things I probably wouldn't have talked to them about. I mean, a thousand. Because I'm <laughs> I, I'm a busy guy, and I, you know, I I probably haven't talked to my kids as much as I should have. But thanks be to God to family worship. I couldn't think of a thing laying on the ground that we hadn't talked about because the Bible talks about everything. And we've been talking together for years. So it's such a blessing, you see, to have this. It's such an assistance also for child rearing. When you're talking with your kids about the most open things, as they get older, as teens, that dialogue stays open. That's wonderful. All right. What do you do? What do you do if you haven't done family worship and it's too late? It's never too late. Even if your children are married, even if your children are married, you, you go to your children, you confess your guilt, and you say, "Let's let's start doing it with the grandchildren." And if your children are still at your home, just go home and say, "We're going. We're going to start this. We're going to start this." All right, I'm going to close with a quick story here. It's about John Payton uh, when he left home after his father had given him family worship for many years. This is what he said. He said, His father walked with him six miles of the way, turned to him, shook his hand, and said, Your father's God be with you, my son. And they wept. And uh, then John Payton says this, How much my father's prayers at this time impress me, I can never explain, nor can any stranger ever understand. And then here it comes. If you forget everything I said this morning, remember this. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, my father would pour out his whole soul in tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus and for every personal need. We would all feel as if we were in the presence of the living Savior and all of us children learn to love and to know him as our divine friend. And as we would rise from our knees, I used to look at the light on my father's face, and wish I were like him in spirit, hoping that in answer to prayer, I might be privileged to carry the gospel to the heathen world in some way. No coincidence that John Payton went to the cannibals for a lifetime of faithful missionary work. Now, before I just have a quick prayer, I want to say to you that um, if you go to heritagebooks.org, I would encourage you, it's a non-profit price, this is not for, profit, for a ministry, but I would encourage you to get the Family Worship Bible Guide and the little book I wrote that you can read in an hour and a half on how to do family worship, which is an expansion of what I just gave you here, and get going. Please do family worship in your family. heritagebooks.org Family Worship and Family Worship Bible Guide. God bless you. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we ask that this address, this sermon, will be used mightily in many families sitting here right now. That those families who are doing family worship may be strengthened to do it better, and that those who aren't doing it may be convicted and may begin to do it right away. Lord, don't let this week pass, but help them to start simply and to cry for mercy and for wisdom, and do bless them as they bring their families the truths of the Bible day by day for every sphere and aspect of Christian living. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.